Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. So welcome back to the Defiant Spirit and Wealth 360, where I bring together my passion for the Enneagram with my good friend and financial expert and guru, Michael Feiner, and his expertise in all things finance. What's happening, Mike? Not too much. Just back from New York visiting my daughter, B, and uh, you know, back in the office on Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy here, to say the least. Yeah, why is Salem like the mecca of uh, of Halloween? You know, in I want to say the late 1600s, they had the witch trials here and hung the witches in Salem. And ever since yeah. then, um, you know, different people are attracted to Salem, and uh, a lot of people dress up as black witches. I I was at Dunkin' Donuts today. I, I got served by Darth Vader for my coffee. I a lot of witches going around. People dress up. They really get into it. So this has been over like a hundred thousand tourists. Wow, that's crazy! Because Salem is a tiny little place, right? It, it really is. That's why I say it's it's impossible to to get around. And of course, yeah, you know, I waited till the last minute to buy my candy. So I I end up with the worst candy for the kids who come to my house tonight. Feel be bad. careful. They'll they'll egg that beautiful house of yours if you. I know. I'm 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 concerned. They're going to be very very upset by my selection. It's like Butterfingers. I mean, it's it's I, I like them, but not not what the kids expect. Um, and you had a good time with your daughter Lizzie, who was uh, it's her birthday. So shout out to Lizzie. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I should say that uh, she's 26. We talked about you because you did her bat mitzvah exactly 13 years ago when she was 13. Now she's 26, and uh, and she, you know, it's hard to believe that she's 26. It's hard to believe that you you did her ceremony 13 years ago too. So it's, it's time, time certainly flies. Time does fly. And she's a great human being uh, black belt. I remember I was scared of her. Like the only karate, the only uh, kid that I trained as a bat mitzvah that I was scared of. So, well, you know, what, what, what can we say? But, <laughs> but your kids, your kids did karate for a long time too. Amazing. They did. My son followed in her footsteps. So yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, happy birthday, Lizzie. And we're dedicating this to you. Not that you're interested in this, but we'll. Uh... Well, ironically, I think uh, Lizzie's the only one who hasn't actually taken the Enneagram yet. Right. But I think she's a two. So, so perfect segue. Yeah. So Lizzie, this one's for you. Um, the Enneagram two. If you are just joining us, I gave a podcast this week also that this uh, podcast um, airs on the Enneagram 2 and kind of a general synopsis of the Enneagram 2. I have a program now, now called Defy Your Number, which is a um, base program to give you all the foundational elements and tools of the Enneagram of your core types. So you take a test. Not all tests are equal. So the test that I offer is through a company called IEQ9, and it's the gold standard. So it's kind of like rock solid. Many of them are out there. You know, they're fine. They're not going to do any damage. But 
Um, usually they're mistype you. So this one gets you into your core type and then we get you into your number. Well, um, Michael and I have been adding the wealth component so that you can understand your wealth, your finances, the way you relate to money vis-a-vis -vis your Enneagram type, or, you know, Michael is using it to understand his clients better so that he can really, you know, empathize and see, um, see them see you through your eyes, not just through his eyes. And so I think there's a really, there's two great ways to go about this conversation, right? It's about you as an individual listening to understand your finances through the Enneagram and for financial planners like Michael to understand you and your money values. Anything you want to add, Mike? I couldn't say, have said it better myself. Uh, we're using it so we have better language to communicate in terms that people understand a little bit better. And as I said before in our podcast, as opposed to the standard speech that I would give to everyone without really adjusting it to someone's communication needs, this has really helped me tailor things. I got feedback from one of your clients who shall rename nameless, but um, she was singing the praises of finer wealth because she's an Enneagram too. And she's, and we're going to be talking about the two today, the helper, and we'll talk about how that translates into our um, program, Wealth 360. But she was saying that even since the time she started with you, which was maybe a year ago at this point, or I don't know how long it's been, she can feel a transition in the way you're talking to her because you now know she's an Enneagram 2, which we'll be calling the legacy investor. And you have addressed a lot of these issues that we're going to touch on today. That is it safe to say, Michael, that they don't necessarily come so naturally to you at not being a 2? Right. As, as a 3, I sort of look at things a certain way. And knowing that, for example, a client might be a 2, it really is a completely different language than I would normally do. But now, um, I guess I'm empathizing. I don't know if empathy is the right word. But trying to communicate in something that, that the client understands more than the way I do, it certainly helped me uh, also develop my skill set and, and look at it from their perspective too, which helps. Yeah, I'm going to put it up on the screen just for a little bit. We want to keep it up the whole time. And if you're not watching, um, I'm happy to get you the slide or you can get the whole program. But up here, we have two different um, Enneagram pictures. The top one is the more traditional way of thinking about the Enneagram with the nine traditional types. And the bottom one is the one that Michael and I have created, Wealth 360. And we've just not, it's more than just renaming an Enneagram type. We've taken the name and we've then built an entire program that really embodies the qualities of this name. So last week we spoke about the Enneagram one that was our first in this series and that's called the blue chip investor. If you want to know why, listen to last week's podcast. This week we're moving into the helper which we're calling the legacy investor and then we'll keep going around this wheel this Enneagram as we move forward. So let's start there, Michael, the Enneagram to the legacy investor. You want to just maybe touch on the name? Where, why, the, why the legacy investor? Well, I'm going to actually give an example because when you named it the legacy investor, it immediately resonated with me because it was my grandmother. Hmm. And my paternal grandmother was, you know, grew up during the Depression, um, was, you know, taught in the Boston school system. Didn't have a lot of money, but her biggest concern was making sure before she passed away that she left 
a small amount of money to her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It, it was an unbelievable type of conversation with her for years. I said, you know, I don't think, yeah, should be overly concerned with all that. You know, enjoy your life, Grandma. I call it Graham, right? Just enjoy it. Go on a cruise. Go to the Catskills. You know, go to the senior center and play bocce. Do, just spend your money and enjoy yourself. And she was adamant about making sure every one of her grandchildren and great-grandchildren had something from her. And I never honestly got it, right? I helped her with her wills. I helped her with her trust. I, help, I helped her with stuff as, you know. But she was so focused on that. I mean, to a point of, I just really, honestly, I'll admit it, couldn't understand it completely until we had the Enneagram system, right? Where her concern was legacy. She wanted so much to leave something to, it wasn't just, I mean, she left it to her, you know, my father, his sisters, her children. Mm-hmm. But it was her grandchildren, which me and my, you know, brother, uh, sister. But then our children, right? Great-grandchildren she was so concerned with. Even step-great-grandchildren. So I'll leave it at that. But her, she was a helper. When I think of it, too, as someone who obviously worked in the school system, you know, was the type. But that was her passion her she was so concerned about my children you know it just all comes together right now it's it's so fascinating because i just realized when you're saying that i had the exact same experience with my grandma grandma Flo, who was the quintessential two i was just talking to my sister about her yesterday and we were recalling that on her 95th birthday she was really still in good shape and she was doing the dishes at her birthday party and we were begging her to sit down so that she could cut the cake and open presents and she didn't want to sit down. All she wanted to do was wash the dishes, not because she was OCD, you know, like obsessed, but because it was her way of giving and she still wanted right. to be relevant. She wanted to be remembered as the giver and that's I, part and parcel of it. Yeah. So I think... That hurt my grandmother, your grandmother's traits, you know, come from a certain perspective of they're looking at a long, real long-term helping of, say, a family yeah. or a group. And not everyone is like that. So that's a, di- a completely different approach. And I would be discussing her financial plans in terms of, well, let's put all our money together so you can go to assisted living someday, Graham. She's looking at me like there's something wrong with me, right? Like... I don't want to hear about assisted living. I want to hear about, I want to make sure there's something left for my grandchildren. So like, that's important about that. Right. I, but now it, it, I wish, I wish I had more insight now then as I do now. Right. Yeah. Well, and then now we're speaking to somebody's grandmother listening or that somebody who will be a grandmother or a grandfather, and you know, you can be a, a two as a male. Although I will say that most of the twos I meet, or at least disproportionately, are female. And we could talk about why I did on my other podcast. I think there's a, you know, kind of a nurture quality that we push women into for better, for worse. It, it is what it is. But um, you can be either male or female. But um, again, we all have twos in our lives. It's the one type, I would argue, if you don't have many fives, the investigators, 
I wouldn't be surprised. If you didn't have a two, I would be shocked because they are, they are the teachers, disproportionately teachers, yeah. nurses, the caretaking professions, the stay-at-home caretakers, whatever it is, twos make our lives possible. I, and I have to believe there are probably disproportionate numbers of twos in the world, mm -hmm. but I know we've talked about different, you know, different numbers, just the Enneagram isn't proportional, right? It's not one ninth of everything. Correct. But you're right. They're, I think they're some of the most pleasant and beautiful people in the world too. I hate not that as a three, I'm not pleasant, I suppose, but, <laughs> but help people who are two, who are helpers, that type of thing are a pleasure to be with because they're, they, they sacrifice for others, right? They're self-sacrificing. They're not self-serving generally. Well, we'll get into it, but you know, they, they appear at least to be, you know, all human beings have shadow sides. And so there's a shadow side to over giving. And that's what the two gets into, which is very different than some of the other types, like the eight and the three, Michael's a three and I'm an eight. And where it's funny because if I think of almost opposite types of the two, certainly the eight, we're, we're literally opposites. So we need what each other has. And I work with a ton of twos. I would say twos and nines are my number one and two slot of client, at least thus far, um, because they come to me because twos are sometimes lacking and they want what the eight has and vice versa. I, I really soften. Um, I'm never really accused of being overly nice. Twos sometimes are overly generous, overly nice. So um, some core kind of values around money, because you can listen to the Enneagram 2 podcast that I did. The money, um, m twos see the world through relationship. So money isn't at the top of their agenda. I don't meet too many twos where money is one of the top things we talk about. Eights, threes, sevens. We talk a lot about money. Fives. Um, even sixes, but twos, we can get to money, but it's always vis-a-vis -vis relationship. Have you had that experience? Without question, um, when you talk to a helper or to someone who's interested in legacy, the first question is not going to be what's the rate of return on the investments or how do I make the most money? Uh, they're going to be more concerned with what companies they own versus rate of return, mm -hmm. what the impact of the company may have on the world might be much more interesting to them. They understand that they need to make money. That's not the issue, but how they do it can be just as important to a two as the ultimate return on investment. That's so interesting you say that because twos are part of another triad we're not going to get into. There's lots of triads and there's one of positive outlook. And twos are part of the positive outlook, outlook triad with seven, the enthusiast, and nine, the peacemaker. Sevens are doing it more to be free, limitless, possibility. Nines are doing it to avoid conflict. Twos are positive to see the future of humanity, of their family, of the relationships. So they look at the world through this positive lens, which I imagine makes it more appealing to invest into that future. Right. For sure. You, you know, when you're dealing with, with a two, you want to look to the companies that are doing good things for the world. It's going to be hard to get a two to invest in companies that might be perceived as doing negative things. Right? Um, 
they make money. So very, very important. They're concerned about what they invest in to, for the, like you said, the impact for the future. Is their money impacting the future in a good way? And also, you know, twos are very image conscious. So threes and twos and threes are image conscious, conscious, but twos are doing it more from relationships. So, you know, they wouldn't want their grandchild to think that they invested in Enron. Right. right. So they're, they're conscious about how does it look, which can be a negative too, right? We can be so concerned with how does this look that we stop going deeper and sometimes twos might do that. But so there is this concern of the world, of their family, of how they're being perceived by their family. You know, your grandmother, she did that because of you know, beautiful, wonderful reasons. And she probably also didn't want to be remembered as the grandma who burnt through all the money because she went to the nice person <laughs> home. No, it, 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 it is interesting. This, of course, is the same grandmother that every time I called her, would ask me why I don't call more often. That would be the first thing on the call. <laughs> hey, Graham, this is Michael. I said, I know who it is. How come you don't call more? <laughs> How much I call or didn't call? Right? So, that's that's the shadow side of the two. That's the shadow side. I was like, but I'm calling you now, Grandma. Right. It's, you it's don't call enough. If they so, don't stand guard, it's insatiable. It is. So it, it is funny, like you said, the different. Now, she was right. I probably don't, you know. Probably didn't call quite as much as my goody two shoe sister. Told <laughs> my sister she ruined it for me. Right? She called. She called every day. So, but anyway, you're, you're right. They they care about uh, all of that um, piece. So it, it's very important to know. It so is. you can help because you can help them plan how they want to not only dispose of their money someday, but also what they might want to invest in. And uh, also talk about the things that they care about as opposed to, I don't have to talk about cash flow on companies to maybe someone who's a two. I could talk about the products that, that are, you know, going to have an impact, a positive impact on the world. And, and if you do talk about cash flow as an example, you talk about it through the lens of relationships. So, for instance, some of the twos, as in my research, and I'm sure your experience, the twos will want probably more liquidity on hand i think originally you were calling them the dividends investor yeah they tend they tend to be a bit more more conservative um like the ones that we talked about in our last podcast they tend to be a little bit more blue chip oriented a little bit more traditional in the sense of how how they invest but they they certainly want to be impactful it's partially because they they have um a low tolerance for risk because if it's about relationship how does this jeopardize not just me but the people whom i support or who could be the recipients of this so it doesn't mean that they don't take risks but i think they're going to be more reluctant to take risks than let's say the sevens or the threes or the eights that that's such a good insight because protection uh is really important for a two. They want to protect their wealth uh, generally more than almost any other Enneagram type, I think, in, in so many ways. That self-protection of wealth and – I shouldn't say self-protection. Preservation of wealth mm -hmm. is very, very important for all the reasons that, that you've explained, I'm sure, because you understand the depths of the psychological part of it 
you know, more than, you know, my anecdotal experience. Yeah, but anecdotes are how we really navigate the world. And I think it, it's very helpful. And so an, an anecdote I have along those lines is when I was working in cannabis social equity, um, trying to pioneer social equity in the cannabis space, I was working in inner city Los Angeles and a couple other places, but it was in um, South Central Los Angeles that I kept running into women in particular who were looking to get into the cannabis industry. And I was my job was to kind of vet them, interview them as to why. And the common denominator was a term that I took for granted, lots of privilege um, on my end. I always just assumed it, but they didn't have it and they were looking for it. And it was generational wealth. And I got into deep conversations with them that they wanted to provide generational wealth so that their children or their children's children could start out at the very least on a level playing field, if not with a foot up. And it just like dawned on me Right, the, of what that general wealth, generational wealth thing is, because I had it taken for granted. I never once wanted or had to think about getting to a solid footing for me. And I think most of the people listening, not everybody, you know, it was kind of a, an assumption. But for those who've never had it, generational wealth, and I think your grandma and certainly my grandma come from that other place where they didn't have, my grandmother did not have generational wealth. That's, That's a, that's for sure. I think you've hit the nail on the head. She has come from a different place. You know, grew up during the Depression. Her parents were immigrants. Um, never had much, except for a solid family, right? They had a great family unit. They all stuck together for sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure she didn't receive much, if anything, of an inheritance when her parents passed away young, right? And I think that played a big part of her watching probably her peers and saying, hey, how do you get how do you get the next generation a head start? So yeah, I think that's a legacy investor yeah. quality. Everybody has it, but twos really lead with it. And it's a defining aspect, I imagine, of their financial strat or your financial strategy for them. I, I think that's right. Do you think that there is a hit, you know, there's a a basis of depending, like you said, if their parents or they themselves came from a certain financial position, that they're more likely to become a two for that reason. And does that does any of this have sort of a a correlation as to where you came from? Therefore, you become a two, or I became a three because I was reared by an eight. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. That has to have some impact, right? Well, I think that's why there are so many female twos, because I think our society, certainly in a previous few generations, but I think even till to this day, tends to push females towards the two direction and tries to push males towards other directions. I think we're defying some of that. I think some of that is, um, again, is nurture versus nature. But I, regardless of the, um, you know, the the gender issue, I think that in every family, there has to be a two, even if they're not a born two, they sort of assume the role because if it's going to be a healthy functioning family, you need somebody to take on the role of inviting everybody to Thanksgiving. And that's a two-ish kind of a quality. And so like, for instance, my sister and I, neither of us are twos. She's a nine, I'm an eight. And so my mom's a two. In the absence of my mom, my, you know, only in the geographical absence of my mom, she's still on this earth and well. Um, but when she's not here in Denver with us, 
we tend to be needing that too. And so my, my, my wife actually steps into the void because neither my sister nor I seem to be equipped for the two-ness of gathering people. My wife's a four, but she steps in and takes on that too. And I can see her, she's, you know, it's not a, it's not a far cry for her to be a two, but it's not her default, but she assumes some of that. Interesting. Yeah. So twos are kind of the glue of mm -hmm. situation. Would that be a good way to put it? Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think my mother's probably a two also in that sense. Yeah. Right. And if not, she assumed the role because it was necessary. Interesting. Um, so I guess, you know, this, it brings us to another aspect of finance, finance with twos. And this is a really, this is one of the big ones when, that I've been, since I've been studying finance with you and the Enneagram. Um, twos are probably one of the lower earners on the Enneagram system. Um, twos, I think nines, and I think they were the two as low, the lowest earners. Doesn't mean they can't earn, but you know, if you look at statistics, the bell curves, they were on the lower side and yet they were among the higher spenders. And it's not because twos live in debt. That's not what I've gathered, you know, just anecdotally. What my sense was, and I'd like to hear from you on this, is that they tend to be in either a profession that's solid, but not necessarily high earning, like a caretaking profession could be nursing, could be teaching, could be, um, you know, home health care provider. They tend to be in more nurturing roles, which tend, unfortunately, not to pay as much as some of the others. But they also tend to be married to a high earner or they are part of a family and they're, um, and, you know, they've inherited wealth. And it may very well be deserved. They might be the glue that's held the family together. I've seen it with males and females. Um, oftentimes they're the stay-at-home parent. So it's an interesting kind of paradox that they don't tend to be the ones without money, but they are not the high earners. Have you seen this in your experience? No, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, as a general rule, they're entering professions if they do work outside the home, which may earn a living, but are not going to be the highest earning professions because they're not in in the industries that earn, you know, the highest amounts, whether it's finance or, or whether it's um, uh, a legal profession or whether it's entrepreneurial per se, right, when you help others. But to your point, um, they tend to need help when either they take control of money either through inheritance or, you know, if, if you're a two in a marriage and the spouse has passed away, you're now maybe in, in control of that. And that part of it, uh, a twos need help. That's what I'd say, you know, from the Enneagram. If I know someone is a helper who's interested in legacy, that may be someone who needs more hands-on assistance. Mm -hmm. They have a direction, though, right? But they may need help help in executing that because they may not have as much experience as the person who, who earned it. Yeah, I think that's that's something I've seen over and over. You know, when I have officiated at funerals, oftentimes males die before females statistically. And so there are just go to any nursing home. You'll see there are more widows than widowers. Um, and oftentimes, at least in a previous generation, they were the ones who were taking care of the family and providing, uh, making a home while their uh, their spouse was off 
um, making money. And it was a partnership, it was a collaboration. Whether that works, whether it doesn't, is a whole other conversation. But the bottom line was then their spouse dies and they have mastery in one area. They don't have mastery in the other area. And I've seen, you know, like with that generation, especially that they need a trusted advisor and they're, they're open to it because they understand, right. That that's not even where they want to spend their time. My grandmother didn't want to spend her time mastering finance. She wanted to spend her time giving her children or grandchildren experiences. And so I think that that makes perfect sense that they seek out a financial advisor and even better, somebody who really understands that at the heart of what they're looking for is relationship and legacy. I, th I think you've, you know, hit the nail on the head with respect to it. It clearly works for whatever reason over hundreds or thousands of years that sometimes there's a helper and maybe there's someone who's an entrepreneur earner. They're just two different Enneagram types, right? That work well together. They're very complimentary, right? Someone's taking care of the family, the, the glue someone might be earning and that system seems to work. To your point though, once, once the team's broken up for whatever reason, it could be death, it could be divorce, it could be a, a many different reasons that they're missing maybe either that expertise or that interest. But to understand what they want when they're shifting is it initially it may be for the growth of the, you know, initial family. Once, once the two is in charge of things, they probably reset priorities a little bit. They need different types of help. They have the direction. That's not the issue. It's just a matter of replacing some expertise. Mm -hmm. But again, it's talking the language that they want to, to, you know, to understand so that you can help them achieve ultimately what their goals are. Because nothing's worse than talking to a two about um, something very technical or something that is, isn't so interesting that may not resonate mm -hmm. and you lose them very quickly. And once you lose someone like that, you, you, it's hard to gain their trust back. It is. And that's why I think what you're doing is so uh, profound because you're framing it through the lens of relationship and you're not just dumping on them data or, you know, um, you know, lexicon from the financial world, but you're framing it in a way that you're speaking their language. And so it's so important. Now, I just want to add, you can be a two and make money. You can be a two and be in the corporate sector. We won't get into it today, but especially the subtype of social. I work with a lot of social twos and they're, they look very corporate. They look more three-ish than two. So there's nuance to the Enneagram. I'm going to throw um, out a couple famous legacy investors just so we can kind of get a flavor. I have no idea if they are, but they strike me as they should be if they're not twos, legacy investors. So, okay, uh, we can do pop quiz. We'll see if, uh, if Michael knows his uh, investor or business folks out there. So here's one I found. Ben Cohen, which is like probably like saying, you know, John Smith. Ben Cohen. Who's Ben Cohen from the investment perspective, Michael? That's a good, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay. no, it's Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's? Yes, Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's. All right, so. <laughs> you see him every night in the fridge. I Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I love Ben and, and Cherry Garcia, but that's, that's interesting, you know. So to, why would I, why would I say Ben Cohen is a two? Well, I mean, he, he obviously is an excellent entrepreneur, built a great business, but he was so concerned even when his when Ben & Jerry's got acquired uh, about what they can use the profits for, where they're going to source materials, 
how everything was going to impact the world and became a big problem for the acquirers um, who were more concerned probably about, you know, slimming down the cost of uh, Cherry Garcia and, and making more profit. So, and that, that was a big, a big issue, you know, uh, for him. Yes. So, you know, it cuts both ways. On the one hand, it's it's an amazing statement that he was so much more than just the bottom line. On the other hand, you know, you have to prove the bottom line, especially if you're going to sell your company. But I just find that that care of people, when I've read about and learned what I've learned about Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's really just feels like a two-ish man and a two-ish brand. So we have a two. All right. Yeah, I, I, I think you, I, I'm not sure you can outdo that, but we'll, we'll see how let's, you do here. Let's do a couple more. And then I have one that I can't remember the name and you'll help me. But um, all right, Tom Chappelle or Chapel. I don't know, is it Tom Chapel? Maybe it's Tom Chapel. Um, he's, he's in a state right next to yours. <laughs> As part of their brand name, Tom's well, of Maine. Tom's of Maine, yeah. So another... We're on a theme here because I do ironically use this toothpaste. There you go. After you've eaten the Ben and Jerry's, you got to use the Tom's. The ben, and Jerry. now, ben and Jerry's does good things, but I'm probably going to die eating all the Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Right? Love me a little less. Tom's the Brigham Brothers. I mean, those guys died young, I think. You know, who won Brigham's ice cream? But but yeah, Tom's of Maine, obviously, he built that, that brand on using not all natural ingredients for obviously started with toothpaste, right? Tom's toothpaste. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it, it went to all the other personal, personal products. Yeah. And then I guess we should have started this one and I won't even do a pop quiz and I'll just tell you, but, um, it's, um, John Mackey. Is it John Mackey or McKay? John Mackey, founder of Whole Foods. Yeah, no, I say that, you know, uh, great business, all, all three, you know, same, same idea, right. Of, of a trend of trying to not to be, you know, have chemicals, not to have processed food, you know, work on that. But I'm not sure that their first motive was was profit. Well, right? uh, John is um, Whole Foods and John, I think, are founders of or coiners of the conscious capitalism, which I used in my previous work in, in cannabis um, using that idea of conscious capitalism, that there are the triple bottom line, people, profits and planet. Right. And that just grows out of us to sentiment of legacy, because our legacy isn't just the money. It's the people that it impacts and it's the planets, the environment that it's sustained. And I just feel like conscious capitalism, Ben, Tom and John um, all feel very two ish. Well, I think twos have had a, a major impact on society and on capitalism because it doesn't take that long ago, even when I went to business school, that when they talked about profitability for companies, they talked about shareholder wealth. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about other stakeholders, the planet, the anything. It was maximize shareholder wealth. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, twos who have been capitalists and, and others around that have really improved the model where that isn't the only thing you should think about. In fact, it's detrimental. A hundred years ago, we're polluting the skies, we're, you know, doing things that probably weren't good for the long term for the planet, but you can make money. Um, Having this conscious capitalism and having uh, consideration of the entire ecosystem of the world 
has has benefits, right? Absolutely. It compounds. So uh, kudos to them. I, I will say Whole Foods never made probably too much money. You know, McDonald's still does a lot better than Whole Foods. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, and I think that's partially why I think it's two-ish because it didn't make um, a lot of money. It just made a lot of impact. It changed the way people think about relating to their grocery store and their food to care about, you know, the ingredients or if it's local or so. And it's funny, too, because I've asked people, what percentage of grocery stores would you say Whole Foods accounts for? And they'll say like 10 percent. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like 0.1 percent, like less than one. Yeah. So that's interesting. But it, it is interesting from the perspective of when I do talk to, you know, different people to are a high proportion and we talk about making money, they're willing not to make the most money in order to have impact, mm -hmm. which is a big, big choice in life. And it's a big choice of how you deploy capital because that can have an impact in and of itself. If you want your capital to go in a certain way, it has an impact about how people operate. Right. Yep. So, you know, we'll, we're coming up on our time limit, but the bottom line is, Oftentimes when I teach the Enneagram to people and work with them, I find almost that there's a counter message that I have to give them because society will give them a reinforcing message of something that isn't good for them. It's good for everybody else, not good for them. And one of them is it's better to give than receive. And that's true for every type except a two. Because my work with twos tends to be it's better to receive than to give. Because the work of, for me of the Enneagram is to defy your number. And twos naturally just want to give it away. And my work with twos, whether we're talking about finance or whether we're talking about, you know, getting their basic needs met, is better to receive than to give. Because what I notice with twos is twos give probably, I have no data and I want to get some data for this. I bet they give the most philanthropy. It wouldn't be shocking. It would be shocking if fives did. It would be shocking if eights did. It wouldn't be shocking if twos did. And sometimes it's about not giving as an act of love. Have you seen that? Like you said, twos can can probably give to such a point where it it's detrimental to their psyche. It's detrimental to overgiving and and feeling like they're not so much on love, but um, that they're out there too much they're too forward with what they do and I, I think that can be really difficult for them and they can be taken advantage of because probably they're good natured as a result of being helpers they're not skeptical people they're just they're just whole wholesome people to be around and and that has its weaknesses yeah and learning how to say no is an act of love because your your son or your daughter or whomever doesn't need that 15th loan because it's actually not moving their ball down the field and the act of love in that is no you know you need to move in that direction and i need to be able to say no and feel good about myself and know that you still love me for me not for what i can give you so we we charge all of our twos out there with receiving at least as much as they get to create a true sustainable life and a financial model. And so if you are an Enneagram 2 and any of this resonates with you and you want to talk more about legacy investing, reach out to Michael. Um, I know he works with a couple twos that I have sent him and they have really said that they have never felt more seen in general, not just 
with their financial planners. So reach out to Michael at michaelfiner.com. You can always get a hold of me at the defiantspirit.org. And any final words, Mr. Finer? No, but you've taught me probably most about twos in the Enneagram so far, which has been very impactful for me, the twos in my lives and the twos that I work with and probably understanding that that the most. And it's been absolutely critical and, and, and helpful. Um, I'm, I'm still a student of yours. You know, you're like the Dalai Lama of the, the Enneagram. Uh, of course, you're a rabbi too, but we won't, you know. But, you know, from that perspective, I implore everyone to go to uh, these website, um, defiantspirit.org, and look at all the tools because it's so powerful. When I have questions about things, I look at all the materials. And when I say it's an encyclopedia of materials, it literally, you may have produced more Enneagram materials than any human in history at this point, because you have you have been on a mission, you know, as the Blues Brothers said, a mission from God, I mean, on the Enneagram. I've never yeah. seen so much analysis in materials in my entire life. It is profound, it's powerful, it's going, you know, amazing places, and it's a resource second to none. Well, so, I'm excited for our work together to continue to pioneer the Enneagram and all things money, finance, and investment. And if you're listening to us and you're interested, just you know, shout out, give us a shout out, share the podcast, share with your friends. We just want to spread this word that um, there are some great tools and systems um, at your disposal to take back your power, to defy your number, all kinds of numbers, and live at a deeper, more meaningful level to live your spirit. So. Thank you, Brother Michael, and uh, thank you to all of you. We'll see you in the next podcast. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit.